Welcome to Behind the Mask with Marco, where we will open up about an array of topics such as mental health, social issues, acting, and the list goes on and on and on. Let's go Behind the Mask with Marco and see what we can reveal today. So I'm here today with two guys I've known since childhood. And the reason I chose this topic today is because it's very close to things that I like to discuss in terms of criminal justice reform, in terms of social issues that go on every day around us, but things that we either take for granted or just really overlook. And I have two men here who have stories of their own. We've grown up together and our lives have taken on very different paths. So today I have with me Eric... What's up? And Grant. What's up, everybody? And today's podcast is incarceration. These two guys have been incarcerated individually for a number of years. And I'm here today to let them tell their story to discuss not only what life was like while being incarcerated, but also their mindset going into that, coming out of that, and trying to readjust into society today. So it's great to get into their minds as far as how the system operates from their point of view and also just the ins and outs of what life has been like for the past 15 to 20 years. So, Eric, I'll start with you being the older of the two. Okay. What got you into the position that you were in as far as that first time you found out I'm going away? Well, the first time I found out I was going away, I was young, 14 years old. Stealing cars like an idiot, Northeast Philly, man, trying to show off for friends. And uh, I went to court. I got caught in a, in a Cadillac Eldorado. I went to court. I thought I wasn't going to go away and all that. You know, the end result was the judge said three to six months, juvenile. Now, you said impressing friends or just trying to do the cool thing. We were hanging out then. Absolutely. So what was the... Well, I want to say, what was more your mindset? Was it more was it more something that you weren't in control, or you were you being led by the wrong crowd? I think it was more that I was just trying to impress people that I, I shouldn't have been trying to impress. So it was more. Is this more of a, if I knew then what I know now? Exactly. Okay, so take me back to when you were actually fourteen. What were you thinking going through that? Well, when I was fourteen, I, I don't really think that I was doing too much thinking. I think that um. You know, my mindset was more like, you know, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And no law pertains to me. Okay, that's interesting. And Grant, I'll swing the same question to you, since you're here as well. That first time you went away. Well, my first time, you know, for me, I, I've been locked up so many different times, I can't even remember the first time. But they're all they're all basically the same thing for me, you know. You know, for most people... They don't realize, but for me, it's always the same conclusion. It's you are who your friends are. So doing what you're doing, when you're trying to do what everybody else is doing, you want to do it better or bigger or more impressively. So, you know, like you said, when we were hanging out, all I wanted to do was be like you, play sports and do the right thing. <laughs> and then going to different schools and getting in trouble and being the poor little kid that everybody picked on or something like that. I figured the way to change was to get in trouble. Hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's kind of where I was going in the beginning. Now, to give people out there some perspective, we all grew up 
literally on the same block. Like, you know, I, I mean, I could same see, house. yeah, I could, I could see your house from my house, <laughs> and all relatively the same age. And yeah, sports was, I guess, the connection was that we would all every day go play sports and go uh, across the street to the park. And yes, some of us were more athletically inclined than others. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, as kids, like those are things that I personally never thought of in that the kid who wasn't as good or wasn't always picked first or even you know, usually picked last on the team was always picked on or made fun of or the butt end of the joke. And you never realize how much of a toll that takes when we're kids. You know, and it's interesting that the way you say that, that the mindset is, wow, this is how I can impress my friends is by doing stuff like that. Eric, though, on the other hand, like you actually had some athletic ability. Like you would play, and you I, mean, were... I loved sports. When we played baseball, I was I loved it. Yeah, I mean, even baseball and basketball, you were very competitive and very involved. But you also had other talents as well. Right. So take us back to okay for both of you. We're thirteen, fourteen years old. What's the future look like? Like you want you aspire to be what? At well, that when age? I was young, see, playing baseball with you, Mark, man, the whole this is this is this is the difference between us. See, my whole thing when we were playing baseball when we were little, you were 13, 14, you go home and stuff and you look at, you know, you go home, change your clothes and maybe look at Mr. Softy and want to get an ice cream cone and this and that. I go home, I see drug dealers on the block and I want to be that. And But again, we lived on the same block. I know. And that's interesting to me in that that was the perspective. Like, that's what you saw. Right. Maybe I guess it was the different... My side of the block was facing east, and yours right. was facing <laughs> north. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You know. What's crazy it was when we were younger, you know where the block was, mm -hmm. right outside of my front door. Yeah, you know what I mean. Do you think that's more of a choice? It's. Well, I believe it's definitely a choice. And and and, and the reason I say that is because, like, again, we stood on the same block. Right. It was just one of us chose to go home. Well, you. The whole thing about that choice was you were smart enough to choose that you didn't care what anybody thought, and you're gonna do you. And I thought. My choice was, I want to impress him. He's doing this. He's selling this many bundles a day. I want to impress him and show him I could do the same thing. Hmm. Grant, you think the same way? Or? I don't know if I think the same way, but, you know, from my, from my perspective, it was, you know, I started off, I mean, nobody knows better than you, you know. I mean, I, I literally lived at your house. So. <laughs> but for me, I just, you know, I... I wanted so much to do so much different. I mean, I, when I was when I was a little kid and we were that age, I I literally wanted to be a cop. I literally <laughs> wanted to grow up and be this he and that. Did, yeah. And <laughs> you know, and then just it sounds corny, but just being where we were at and doing whatever I was doing, just getting trained in a new school and just doing this or doing that and being around just just literally trying to be not the kid that, not the little fat kid running around or the little dirty kid that was running around because he wore the same clothes every day because he couldn't, because he didn't have anything else to wear or this and that. Just, I figured being, instead of being the, the topic of the joke, I would be the bully of the joke. Instead of being bullied, I wanted to be the bully. Or instead of being the poor kid, I wanted to be the rich kid. So I did whatever it took to make people look the opposite way and say, Nah, we're gonna not do this, or we're not gonna do that. So, that's pretty much my whole my whole objective was to impress, or not to really impress. I really wanted to just impress myself. I just I didn't want to be 
where my mom and dad was. Okay. I wanted to be more. I wanted to be above to five people in a one-bedroom apartment. or I didn't want to live on Ron Street. I wanted to live in Fifth Avenue. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you thought that was the easiest way or the... I guess I the just, best way for you to get there? I just figured it was the easiest. The easiest way? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and in reality, you know, not having the the proper, I don't know, I don't want to I don't want to blame my parents, but I want to say, you know, my dad being a drunk drug addict telling stories of selling drugs and doing drugs never helped either. I figured <laughs> if I can sell some drugs and just make a couple thousand dollars a day, why wouldn't I? Mm. And then everybody else is doing it in school, so instead of being the topic of the joke, you know what I mean? I could just start selling weed or pills myself. Yeah. Man. I mean, it, this, and, and a lot of this is fascinating in that, again, I, I just point back to we grew up on the same block. Yeah. And the similarities in that, like you said, with your dad drinking and drugs, the same with my dad, believe it or not. My dad, for as much of his accolades as far as playing minor league baseball and doing all he did, same thing. You know, drugs also played a role in his life. Um, I think that's with every family, yeah, to be honest course. with it. Yeah, yeah. but it, it also comes back to those choices and those outlets that we I have. I was going to say that, too. Yeah, and I think, not to make this, you know, from my end, but from, from hearing where you're coming from in that, you saw it more of wanting to impress yourself by financial gain, the money, and the status, and all that. And... Eric, you say I was in my own world by just the sports and going about doing what I wanted to do and not really caring about what others think. Right. And that was the difference because I was caring what other people thought. Like I was so hell-bent on impressing my dad with sports. Right. And everything was, I got to be the best and I got to be the first one picked and I got to be the the all-star. And the stupid pressure I put on myself, I was like, I didn't have time for the... <laughs> extracurricular stuff right. as far as you know, where, you, where you guys were. Way to put and it. that's the next thing. Right. You were so busy with doing this and that with the sports and whatever else. Yeah. Right. I was walking out my front door and, you know, they were all, everybody was hanging right there smoking yeah. pot and doing this. Right. And in reality, this all really starts at don't let nobody fool you. Once you start smoking pot, you're going to become a drug addict. You're going to do other drugs. You're going to drink. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to rob, cheat, and steal if you're poor to get the money to buy pot just like you would any other drug. So mm. if anybody's listening, I don't care what somebody tells you. Pot's just the same as heroin. It's Absolutely. No a drug is a drug. It's truly a gateway. Yeah. Drugs are drugs. There's no getting not around. saying it's a... And, and I, I agree with that too, but I'm not saying it's a... What do they call that when you say, well, if you start this drug, you'll go to this drug? It's a gateway, gateway drug. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying it's a gateway drug, but what it does definitely does is just how he said it, man. If you do drugs, if you grow up and you start doing drugs and you get into drugs and you, you anything that got to do with any type of street life, drug-wise, whatever, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna get into stealing and this and that because you're not always gonna have, but you're always gonna want. And that's the problem. Nobody always has, but they always want. And there's limits. You either will do this or you won't do this. And sometimes people don't have no limit, man. They will do anything to do what they want. And that's the main The main thing is drugs. Everybody's, the main answer to any question about people going to prison. There's. I was just in prison for 10 years. There wasn't one person in jail that didn't do drugs when they were on the street. <laughs> they didn't drink. They didn't do drugs. They weren't this, weren't that. There was no... There was no good people in prison. There was Nobody no got people in prison in library, that, weren't, that weren't working a job, doing this and that. That Even the 
white collar criminals, they got hooked on drugs, so they were stealing money out of their jobs or doing whatever to get drugs or to get alcohol. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just as simple as that. Really? Whole, drugs and alcohol are the answer. It's, That's the, I guess the... Uh... Once you start, there is no, especially if you're poor. If you're poor and you do drugs, the only way to get the drugs is to rob, cheat, and steal. So. Yeah, that's true. There's no, there's no such thing as control once you're a drug addict. I don't believe that there's... Once you're a drug addict. Right. Once, once you're, you're a drug addict, addict and once you're into something, you know, you don't got control no more. Because regardless of how, how much in control you think you are, mm-hmm. you know, like, I'm doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because I want to. I want to. I want to. But what's the reason why you want to? Because it got control of you and it's making you want a certain thing. It's not something you want. It's something that you're hooked on getting to want. That's what it is. So it's more of an unconscious or subconscious right. way of thinking. Right. So stay right there with the word control. When, when was that first th- thought or feeling of this is out of control? This is I'm not going to be the person I thought I was, or I'm I'm completely somebody other than who I thought I was going to be and. Oh man, I've this, thought that this, so many times. This is the life I'm, you know, I'm headed towards. I don't know when the first time was, man. I've been locked up so many times and growing up beaten by the cops in Philadelphia so many times and so many things I didn't done that, that happened to me that made me at the time say to myself, man, I'm not doing this no more. Right. This ain't me. I don't know what the hell's going on here. Like, why am I even doing this? It's a mindset where we say, you know, when we're in the situation at the time, getting locked up or getting beat by the cops or even hurting our family, anything that, that makes you think about what you're doing gives you the mindset like, man, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do this. I don't need this in my life. But then reality kicks in and everything gets a little bit better and boom, you snap right into the fact and you're going right back to doing what the hell you did before. So it's a pattern. It is a pattern. It's, it's always a pattern, pattern. But it's also, it's so easy to just, where we're from, it's just so easy. Whether it's North Philly, South Philly, West Philly, New York, California. When you're in a low-class neighborhood, it's so easy to just sell drugs. There is no... It's so easy to just... Just want more. To make money by selling drugs. Like, the perfect example for that is the time before... Right before I got locked up on this case, for two, three months at a time, I filled out 10,000 applications. I went Hmm. to every single place trying to get a job, trying Hmm. to do this, trying to do that. And it was probably a rough time back then, you know, it was... It was 2009, 2008. About 10 years ago, yeah. Doing that was an example because I even told the judge when I was getting sentenced the same thing. I filled out and I tried to get a job every single place I could. And not one person would give me a chance because of my record. I told the judge, I could show you the paperwork. I said, Your Honor, if you make me your clerk today, all I can do is prove to you that I work as hard as I can, just as much as selling drugs or doing the negative stuff, as I would being your clerk or being your security guard. Either way, unless there's a door that's going to open for you or give you a chance to do something else, I worked my whole life growing up, working with my dad. Yeah, your dad had his own business. Jack of all trades, Trying to do this, trying to do that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that right there, that's humbling in that... You know, we were, all, you know, even when teenagers, oh, I'm not taking that job. I'd never work at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we'd make fun of the kids. You know, right. but, yeah. but here you are, like, kind of almost begging to say, I'll take any job. I'll do anything just so I don't have to go back there. Right. right. I literally 
got an application at the McDonald's in Ben Salem, and they said they don't hire convicted felons no more. I literally got an application right now for Dunkin' Donuts across the street from my house. Mm. <laughs> I, real stuff, man. So it's crazy, and it's, di- and it's it's much different, you know, as opposed to because you said that was ten years ago, right. and I'm thinking even like again back when we were teenagers. But think of it today, you know, 35, 40 year old men who are like, you know, we're gonna do. What are we gonna do? The, what are we gonna do? But we're gonna do those jobs right. that we were supposed to be doing when we were teenagers. Right. Like, how do we adjust? Right. So, right there, I mean, yeah, that that's kind of like you know that feeling of sense of control is gone because right. yeah, we just don't really have that. Perfect. Mm-hmm. My parole officer is. I got a kid that's gonna have to tell me what to do now and be 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 my parole officer and be my warden and tell me what I can and can't do. Right. Tell me where I when I can't work, and it's like. The same with the halfway house that I'm living in right now. Mm-hmm. I'm under lock and key still. I'm, I'm still. They still do count times. They still do this. I got call and check in times. Mm-hmm. I'm out job searching like right a curfew now. And all, yeah. I got curfews. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still not allowed on the weekends because I'm a menace to society. They said. Mm-hmm. So it's like, but them, they're supposed to be the one helping you do something. I had a job that I could have had doing landscaping with a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And they, the halfway house wouldn't let me do it because they said it was too far away. And it's my fault because the government put me in the halfway house in Jersey instead of Philly where I'm from. Hmm. An so hour and a half away in Jersey at that. Wow. An hour so, and a half away they put him in there. And talk about that because not only, aside from being locked up and given or taking mm-hmm. orders and, you know, given direction as far as, you know, when you can eat, when you can go to the bathroom, when you can do all these things. And now you're out thinking you're quote unquote free. And you're still have still to follow a certain set of rules. You know what I think, man? I think it's crazy. One part that I think, and this ain't, of course, this ain't for every place or everybody. And I only speak for myself and how I feel. But um, I believe that a lot of the places being incarcerated, once you get out, I think they act worse with you. Their control and their Who's power. Who's they? As far as the authorities, as far as like when you know, since he's in a halfway house, just the 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 the, the people that work there that have the control, the people that have the control, mm-hmm. I think they use it and abuse it a little more once you get free, mm-hmm. just to make you do something. To te- it's a test. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a test. You get out after doing so much time, and then you get out and you're free and you're trying. Now I think they try to make it harder for you just to test you to put you back. Hmm. I think it really is a test, man, and, I, and and not all of them, of course, but I'm say eighty percent of the system and people that work for the system, you know, they're not they're not as good as people like to think they are, man. A lot of them they're supposed to help and they're supposed to not hurt, and a lot of them I just think they like to hurt you instead of helping you. Do you think they're, and this isn't defending them by any means. Do you think they're overwhelmed? Absolutely. As far as what, yeah. though? Like, as far as what? The, well, the number of people that they have to deal with? Well, you know what, though? Well, I you said absolutely. Well, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. they could be overwhelmed. They could be overwhelmed. But again, you know, they knew what job they were going for when they took the job and applied for it. They knew what they were getting into. They knew what they were going to have to deal with. Yeah. So as far as overwhelmed, yeah, I think at times they could be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. But in the big, the long run, I think, you know... They knew what they were getting into. Just like they say for us as a criminal. Before you went and you shot that person, before you bought that gun, you knew what was going to happen and you did it anyway. So them taking that job, they knew what they were getting into. They knew what they were going to deal with. Even as far as the, the, the most devastating parts. You know, you got murderers that came out. Mm-hmm. And they deal with people that go to jail and, and don't care. Mm-hmm. So they knew right away 
what they were dealing with, and they decided to deal with it anyway. Not saying, now I'm not saying that it's they, you know, that's their on their own ass or nothing like that. I'm just saying, you know, they didn't go into a job unknowingly of what was could and possibly could be with their career. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I, was, I mean, not that it was unknowingly. I mean, they may have went in, went into a job or that occupation mm-hmm. as this is what I plan to do. Right. This is what I would like to accomplish with this job. But then there's also what comes with that too. Right, and that you know? and that happens with experience. Right, like right, once right. you get there, like, right. and that's the same thing. Like for myself, working you know in mental health in the hospital, mm-hmm. and wanting to be a therapist and guide people, aid people. Right. But there are also the things that I I won't know about until I experience them. Right, like being confronted First by thing. someone right. you know right. you know having an episode and you know being attacked you right. know physically or whatever. Like and right. these things happen, right. and over time. I think also with police officers and you know the people on the on the front right. lines, quote unquote. Right. Um, you know, until they have them incidents or those moments, then it becomes how much do I want to do this job? Right. You know, how much further do I want to do even with teachers? Right. Like look oh, at teachers. Absolutely. Teachers go in wanting to make a difference and right. you know, wanting to educate the youth and then the way the kids are today as far as the bad mouthing and, you know, not wanting to be taught and whatever the case is with, with a lot of teachers, but you know, they know that going in, this right. is what it comes with, and how long. But do, you do they that? know that though? Like, I'm gonna give you a perfect example right now. Well, I mean, I, 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 for myself, because I, I was going to be a teacher first, and I saw what it, the education landscape was. Like, I saw how it's it was. Unbelievable, these young kids. Yeah, <laughs> listen, I think it's about. I got on the bus man. for the first time in my life in twenty years, twenty five <laughs> years. I took a bus the other day, coming from Jersey to come see the family. Right. <laughs> And I almost killed three people because... (laughs) Not literally, not literally. Not literally. Unbelievable. Like, these kids, well, you could call them millennials or whatever you want to call them, but I don't know, maybe it's because of just being, having common sense or being grown up or having some type of natural respect built into my soul or something, but... I mean, there's kids, there's 16, 17, these high school kids on the bus... There's old ladies, pregnant ladies standing and they're throwing stuff oh, around man. on the yeah, buses yeah, and they're yeah, yelling yeah. and screaming and that they're playing the music nuts. and they're just being ignorant and mm-hmm. me and, nuts. and I'm trying to tell the one kid, I'm like, man, if I wasn't on parole, I would throw you out the window, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, right, though, it's yeah. bad. Like, and, that, and yeah, and I I want to say it's generational, but I also is, feel like there was, there was bad It's generational, but it's too. also... Oh, no, I'm not saying we're in it. Listen. We're not. No, I was proud the same way when Absolutely. I was. Absolutely. No, but no, but but there was actually a difference because even like, you know when, we were, though, when we also, were younger, when we were younger, like yeah, there were times where you, Eric, like you know, we'd be at the mall or something like that, and there was plenty of times I had to check you. Like, yeah, like, of course. Like, of yo, course. like yo, like, like you can't say that stuff. in public. Uh-huh. You right. can't be like right, that, right, right. or whatever. And it wasn't so much that you didn't have the respect right. or the guidance. Care. I was uncaringly. But it was more just. Just wanting to be loud, yeah. right, wanting to right, do it. Right. Yeah. But I, but there was also that line where I could check you. Right. You know, regardless of you know the relationship, right. like any of us could be like yo, yeah. like yo, yeah, yeah. Well, man, you know, just for well, right. in my whole life, I would just like to say, and for the record, let this be known. You know, I'm 41 years old, <laughs> and then besides my mother, my brother sometimes, and whoever else I care about. Marco is the one person I will listen to and let check me. Just let that be known. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a badge of honor. I'm serious. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's, but it's like you were saying about the true. people that take these jobs, though. I just want to clarify something for yeah. these people because, like, the halfway house that I'm staying in right now, mm-hmm. it's state and federal. Now, we're all, we're separated, the state and the federal guys, but there's 
There's only 15 federal guys. We barely have any rules. We do, but we don't. You mean like house, house rules? Yeah. Okay. There's, you know, you're not supposed to have a smartphone. You're mm. supposed to have a flip phone because you're not supposed to have internet access. Mm. But then they take you to the store to buy a flip phone that has camera and internet access. So then it makes no sense. Right. But the guys on the other side, there's 250 of them and then 15 of us. But then our rules ain't supposed to be the same as theirs. But then they try to inst- instill their rules to us. Let's so, say they're state. Yeah. And yeah. then... uh. Like our little counselors and stuff, it's a 26-year-old girl or a 25-year-old guy that just got out of school. And they've never, ever, ever, they don't have a clue what it's like to go through what I've gone through and be in the environments that I've been in. So how are you telling me that I can't do this and do that when you know what it's like? The lady's supposed to be my job counselor, help get me job. and. Mm. Her recommendation is, oh, just stay here in New Jersey and get a job. <laughs> well, I'm not from New Jersey. I don't know anything about New Jersey. I don't know where the corner store is, let alone where to go look for jobs. I'm not working in Atlantic City when I got to move to Philly once you kick me out of here in a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> so they don't, it's not that she don't want to help. She really just don't know how or ain't experienced enough to help us. Right. So, But do you think, not only just the experience, do you think they lack empathy? Explain it. Empathy? Yeah. More or less putting um, putting themselves in your shoes. And, and, and kind of like... Like almost understanding, kind of? Yeah, yeah. A, a sense of compassion. I don't think they lack it. I don't think they lack it at all, but I think they ignore it. They ignore I don't think it? they lack it. I think they ignore it and they, 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 they pay less mind to it. Well, do you think... Because for their job, I think they would probably have... Maybe not a quota, but right. a certain like number of people. They say, okay, well, I got I got Grant this application. Right. Or I got him this offer. I got right. such and such. Like I think they would have to, to show for their job performance. Well, yeah. There's a lot of things that people are supposed to do for their job, but they just, you know... In all types of careers that they just don't do. Hmm. You know what I mean? Not everybody follows the rules anymore. Man. So talk about, like, talk about that. Okay, because again, you're out now, you're trying to better yourself. Mm. And not so much if I knew then what I know now, right. it's what you know now. How frustrating is that? In that one, you're just trying to do right by yourself. And two, what the hell have I missed in 10, 15 oh, years? Like, playing that kind of catch up. You know, one thing that's bad for me, man, that I missed, I don't care too much about missing anything outside of my family. But, you know, just missing being with my brother. Being with my son, mm-hmm. being with you, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. My mom, my dad, man, he passed away. My grandparents, man, it's just for me. It's just all the things I think about that I could like. I can walk. I can go from the block. It'll be chow time. I walk to the block and I'd be like, "Dang, I could be walking to the block with Grant right now. I could be walking to McDonald's." You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just things with my family is all it really is for real, for real. Like that's all I really even uh. It's all I ever missed and all I really cared about when I was locked up, man. It's just family. That's it. Mm. Being with my family, you know what I mean? Being with my kids, being with my brother, being with my mom, my sister. That's what matters to me the most, man. Family and just things that I could be doing. Like a lot of people in jail, you know, they talk about, they're just every, I'm going to say 80% of the population that's incarcerated just is everything they ever wanted to be. Everyone's a lawyer, everyone's a doctor, everyone was singing, everyone was this, everyone was that. And it's like, damn, you know, you are all saying all these things that you were and this and that. But don't you miss it? Whether they were or they aspired to be. No, what I'm saying, like, just say we're all right on the block right now. 
mm-hmm. and we're sitting here, me and you are talking about, let's just say music. Mm-hmm. He'll hear us, he'll get in a conversation like, yeah, I was going to sign a deal with G-Unit. You know, everyone <laughs> was freaking 50 Cent. and everybody was always dating himself with G-Unit. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just what it is, though, man. And, and I'm not... I'm not saying that as far as like talking down about nobody because it's like you no, know I mean you all had dreams and right hopes, like everybody I don't I don't want to say you know not never in my life will I ever miss ever being incarcerated but you know all the time wasn't a bad time man you meet good people you do good things you have good times and there's there's situations that are missed but you know there's nothing that, there there ain't nothing in this world to me personally better and greater than family man mm. and once something that you do you know knowingly you know like I, I i i never did nothing that i didn't know what the penalty was going to be i made my own stupid choices and i paid for them but there's nothing in life man worse than 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 missing your family man like mm. Your son, my son's 23 years old. Mm-hmm. I missed about 14, 13, 12, 10 of them years, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, man, I look in his face, man, it, like that's what that's what kills me, man, you know, like Carl looks like your son. Yeah. But that's it. That's another podcast. That's the greatest part for me, man. It's just it's family, man. It's just missing my family, missing out on all them years. But man. speak speak on that because, well, I'll, I'll come back to you, Grant. On yours, but with because you don't have kids. But Eric, with with the fact that your son is twenty three, mm. okay, and you've missed yeah a, a good chunk of his life. Mm. You coming out, and I can remember this too because you're trying to get readjusted in life, and mm. now your son is actually teaching you things, right. a lot of things about life on the outside, lots of things. And what's that like? Because I we well, have to wear our father hat. But what is that two, like? There's you know now if you put that question on a scale, there's two parts of that. You know, like one part is. I think it depends on how how and what in what type of way he's showing me things because there's a way that he can show me like dad I did this on my own I just want you to know that you mm. should have taught me this and I learned this on my own mm. that kills me you know and then there's the other part that I look at him like man he's so successful and he's doing great and I'm just I'm such a proud father that I can learn from my own son mm-hmm. you know what I mean it's, but is there part of that where you go I'm Obviously, yeah, you're proud of you know that he learned it on his own, but mm-hmm. that you weren't able to be a part of that. Yeah, that kills me. I think about it every day, man. Mm-hmm. I, that's that's one of the worst parts of it, man. All the years I missed in his life, man. I know, you know, I know it kills him, and he, he's mad about it and everything. But you know, I, I'm just thankful to God, man, that our relationship is just as good as it is, man. Mm-hmm. Me and my son are great, and and it it could be so much worse, man. And I'm just, you know, I'm so I don't want to say hurt, but I am hurt. But I'm just so sorry, you know, that I missed so much of his life. But at the same time, man, you know, I made stupid choices, man, and I had to pay for him, and that's, mm-hmm. that's what I did, and he understands that. And not trying to make it any type of exception for what I did, because I, I'm an idiot for everything I've done. But, you know, like, at the same time, man, like, my son's so smart and so successful and, you know... I don't want to say I had everything to do with that because I didn't. I had a lot not to do with it. But, you know, my mother, my family, my brother was there for him, my mom, my dad. Everyone was there for him. I had a great family. But, you know, just thinking back on how much I should have been doing all them things, man. Like, I should have did this. I should have did that. I should have been here for this and been here for that. But one thing I can say is, you know, I I never... he, He was little when I went away. 
you know, he's 24 now. But he understands the fact that, you know, I did make a lot of mistakes, but I, like I said to you earlier, I never did nothing for nothing. Hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't just... I would never. I didn't just go hurt somebody because I wanted to hurt somebody. I didn't just go do this because I just wanted to do that. Everything I've done was for a reason, man, and that's not making no excuse for nothing like that. Because it's still, I went away and left my family. But you know, and everything could have been done differently. Yeah. Except for yeah. you know, aside from the choices that I, I've made and the choices that I decided to do it in the way I did it. But you know, so I, what about that? What about the feeling of being inside and talking to him? So you have to have the conversation or the oh, meetings man. of... Well, when I first went away, he was very little, man. And he used to come up and... Because you're missing out on... So many missing, Yeah, on so many, so many, so many things, highlights. Man. You know, it, um, you know, I cry about it a lot. Mm -hmm. It kills me a lot. It really does. But, you know... Um, well, let me ask you this then, since, since he is older now mm -hmm. and he is successful uh, as far as... What's work-wise? What's he doing? He's electrician. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say construction, but no. Mm -hmm. um, no, he's certified, man. Yeah. Electrician. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sounds right. Great. Okay, <clears throat> but so even with that, knowing that he's done it on his own, mm -hmm. or, or he's got you know the resources to do yeah. it, and you said for yourself, it's so hard to find work or yeah. find opportunities. Mm -hmm. Do you humble yourself and go to your son and say, "What can I do?" Like as far as advice, not just advice, but as far as direction with. Not only applying for a job today, because even back then we could go into Dunkin' Donuts or go to a store right. or go in and just fill out an application. Mm -hmm. Today they had this thing called the internet. Wow, that's the problem. Everything's yeah. on the internet. Now. What's right? that? <laughs> and what that's what I mean, that? like that, yeah. that that feeling there. Right. So actually, yeah, I'll ask both of you this because that's that's something that that interests me. Like I have this discussion. I think it's a disconnect with us and the younger generation. Is just like, oh, why can't kids find these jobs today? Because they're not. They're lazy. They don't go out and apply themselves. But it's no, true like a lot we, though. But you ask any 35, 40, 50 year old man, you go do it, right. and they have no idea where to start on the right. internet. Right. That's, right. Yeah, that's see, that's the prop. See, I mean, I don't want to. I took a computer class while I was in prison because I knew the outcome <laughs> of this whole situation. But he saw into the future. So <laughs> I figured that it was going to be worse than I I imagined. But like. The perfect example is this, man. If you don't got an email, and if you don't got a cell, if you don't have a cell phone, you can't do nothing. If you don't have an email, and you don't have a nothing, a phone or an email or a Twitter or a Facebook. And as you know, recently I had a very young person set me up with a Facebook and a Twitter <laughs> and a, all that shit. He's getting a social media presence now, yeah. because <laughs> because not only do not only do you need it to connect with every single person you know, mm -hmm. because that's the only place you're going to be able to find them, because yeah. we're not kids. You can't go to the bar or the playground and find your friends anymore. Right. People are working, got kids, they got jobs, and got a life. Mm -hmm. So if you want to catch up with somebody like me and you, mm -hmm. or you and I, yeah. I would have to see you at a special occasion or a birthday or on social media. I can come to you and be like, Yo, bro, I need your help for something. I need your advice. Mm -hmm. And it's easy for us to connect where back in the day, I would just come to your house and be like, Pop, where's uh, Marco? I need to ask yeah. you something. Or you're there and I'm not even home. And I'm yeah. waiting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like waiting. I'm you're in there. Right. Right. a room right. for you or something. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but you said it's a problem. For me, it's, it's, it's not really a problem, but it kind of is because... It's an adjustment? It's an adjustment to the fact where even for your job, like... Your employer monitors your social media to make sure you are 
who you say you are mm-hmm. and to be capable of what you're doing and to make sure you're not embarrassing them, right. let alone yourself. Right. So to have a social media account is basically to have a camera following you all day long. So mm-hmm. it's just like a whole different prison to me. A prison, really? Well, if everybody's going to be watching what I'm doing all day, they might as well just... But the, I might as well just be back under lock and key having them watch me every day. Yeah, I mean, but there are, there are, and we, <laughs> before we started this, we had the, the, the conversation of uh, social media etiquette. Yes, <laughs> I was we telling, did. I was telling Eric here. Um, <laughs> you have a choice as far as what you can put on your social well, media. Absolutely, but that's yeah. the difference of being grown up now and a millennial or a, whatever, a 20-year-old and a 35-year-old. Yeah, because we think differently as far right. as what we put out there. Well, just... Ten years ago, before I went to jail, mm-hmm. I didn't give a shit what anybody thought. Yeah, I only cared about what I was going to do to myself that day, or what I had planned for that day. And in my mind, you know, you're you're the perfect example. You, Joey, Nicole, everybody, I consider my immediate family, and being out with my friends doing whatever I'm doing, you know, they were my friends. They were the people I was doing this and that with mm-hmm. and I don't want to see them on social media I could care less I'm going to be out on the street with them but now with this social media stuff you know it is it's good like I set this stuff up the other day and I've talked to people I ain't talked to in 10, 15 years yeah. 20 years yeah. I got an email from somebody 20 years ago I ain't seen <laughs> in 20 years I'm talking right. to 20 Casey's the perfect example. I ain't seen her in right. 25 years. Casey's right. a girl from the neighborhood who just yeah. happened to be here while we were doing the podcast. Right. And now all of a sudden, I just get out of prison 25 years later, I see somebody we grew up with. Right. It's right. crazy. It's that I would have never happens, seen yeah. it or even imagined it except my sister put me on social media. So, yeah. uh, so there, I mean, there are pros and cons. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there, oh, yes. there's good to that. Oh, it's social media is amazing. You can do... You can put. I'm. I'm going to assume this is for social media. So, <laughs> Wait, so, let me. Yeah, let me bring them back. So, <laughs> before you get into that, so I, I asked the. I asked the guys. I said, um, "Listen, would you like to do my podcast?" And Eric, your response was, "What's that? What is that? What's a, what's a, what's podcast? a podcast? I thought it was like a computer or something. Like it sounds like a little laptop, a podcast." <laughs> so, and that was the funny part because I'm telling my wife, and she thought this would be an amazing idea to mm-hmm. to discuss have this discussion with you two. And what's up, Ange? <laughs> and I had to have, I had to explain to him. Okay, look, this is what a podcast is. As far as do you know what streaming is? No. Um, do you listen to music on your phone? No. Mm-mm. Okay. So basically, I had to explain what a podcast is, and it's, it's kind of like having an interview and a discussion that mm-hmm. we would put out to listeners to social media. Right. You know, and, and as far as where I'll present it, and you guys were all on board with it. But it's just those little mediums right there that you guys were not even aware of, like. The fact that you're saying you have a flip phone and you can't have internet access or, you know, availability to apps yeah. and all. And <laughs> I'm laughing here because I'm going back to Eric with, when Eric first got out, what was this, six years ago? Six, um, maybe s- well, when I seven years ago? 2012. Okay. Yeah, seven years ago. Mm. So... I, I volunteered to pick you up mm-hmm. and drive out to pick you up. I wanted to be the one. Guy. Yeah, I wanted to be the one drive three hours with my mm-hmm. wife to go pick you up. And <laughs> no, you didn't bring your wife. Yeah, the first time. No, you didn't. Okay, no, no, no. Okay, either were one of the times she did come, but yeah, mm-hmm. this time here she you um. Didn't come? I don't even 
Either or. We had a yeah, conversation. Yeah. So you were, obviously were excited to get out Hell and, yeah. you know, we're, we're catching up and, you know, got some lunch. Mm-hmm. And you were so excited for all these ideas you had right. as far as what you were going to do now that you're out. Mm-hmm. And I remember you saying, Mark, man, listen, I got this idea where, you know, everybody's using their phones. Everybody's attached to their phones nowadays. So you would take a picture of an item and you would just say you're going to sell it and people will buy it. And they'll come and meet you and buy it from you. And you could put music on the phone and people will want to buy it from you. And I'm like... It's been out forever. Yeah, I'm like, have you ever heard of eBay? And and what's eBay? Like, what is right. it? Like, you had no idea. And like, that right there is like, again, the pros and the cons. How immediate everything is with social media and the things yeah. that are available, readily available. But you guys have no idea. Right. So that transition from life 10, 15 years ago to today... Like wow, like like that's yeah. that's amazing to me that the things we take for granted out here on the outside that we right. do every day, mm-hmm. you guys are just now getting acquainted to, and you're getting adjusted to. So, what's your mindset there, as, as far, far as, as as far as not just the adjustment from, I got to harden up and toughen up and be who I am on the inside, mm-hmm. to now, how do I let my walls down and adjust to this life outside? Well, I don't I don't, I don't think that uh. I don't think I really got to let walls down to do that. I mean, you've always been, of the two of you, you've always been more of the emotional one. And I'll say emotional and sensitive in that you you wear your heart on your sleeve. Okay. And you will, you know, we've had conversations where, you know, you, you'll, you'll be more open or, you know. I've cried in front of you plenty of times. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I appreciate you. I remember you. when I lost my girl at one time and I was crying all over you. Yeah, I think all of us remember that. But that's what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. I, I've seen that side of you where, you know, you're, you're, you're not afraid to, to let it out. Right. But, again, having that hard exterior on the inside mm-hmm. of, you know, you, you can't let these people see you cry or you can't. Well, I'll tell you what. I never really cared too much about stuff like that. See, in my mind, see, I lost my dad when I was in jail. Mm-hmm. Cried in front of the whole block. Mm-hmm. The whole I mean, block. I, I, yeah, I, mean? I think there are different there's reasons. Yeah. And then, there's reasons and levels that, that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, let me say this. A lot of people look at jail and they say, you know what, I got to do this, I can't do that, and I got to do that. But for me, one thing about me is this. However I am, however you see me, however you know me, mm-hmm. Tad's going to be in jail too. Same I'm not going to change, Absolutely. I'm not going to... Same thing, yeah. You know, if, I, if I'm, I if I'm in the yard, yeah. if I'm in the yard, mm-hmm. I don't care if I'm in front of 9 million killers. If I'm in the yard, I got a phone call, God forbid, something happened to anyone I love, I'm going to cry. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you said that because a stigma attached to the people that go to prison or that are incarcerated is that they have to have that hard exterior or they have to be, you know, they they have to hide their feelings and hide their emotions and just be hard at all times. What do you feel is the stigma attached to prisoner, I should say people who are incarcerated coming out of prison? Is it misunderstood? I think a lot of it is. And then a lot of it ain't. Mm-hmm. I, I'm gonna say it's fifty-fifty everywhere you go because, you know, like like I said, you got you got fifty percent of people in certain companies, certain businesses, certain this and certain that. Like me, I have I got an arson charge. Mm-hmm. Right now, I tried to go get a Home Depot job. I filled out the application. I went on a computer. I did everything right. My brother even worked there. He was the manager or whatever, whatnot. And um, you know, before these people knew about this charge that I had. I was ready to get that job. Mm-hmm. 
they're gonna I'm gonna come in tomorrow da -da 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 -ba boom boom and all that stuff and then once they found out now I don't fit the criteria hmm. you know what I mean so I'm gonna say it's 50 50 because not everybody's like that not everybody's like that but as far as like 50, that 50 percent you're gonna have the 50 percent that's gonna that they're gonna judge you by your past and what you've done mm -hmm. they're gonna judge they're always gonna look at you I'm not saying everyone's gonna judge you but everyone's gonna look at it right and then 50% of them people that look at it are going to judge you by what you've done in the past. Yeah. No matter how much you've changed, there's 50% of people that ain't willing to take the, the risk of knowing because they just don't give you a chance. They're going to say, well, listen, he's done this, he's done that. What's to stop him from doing it again? Right. Not knowing that in a lot of our minds, like in my mind right now, I would never want to do none of the stuff that I've done before. Right. You know, I'm I'm changing. Mm -hmm. you no, know, I can't say I'm changed because I got a long way to go. Right. No, I mean, you've changed but the I'm way, in the but process. Yeah, in the process, you know, I'm yeah. in the process. And, you know, me going for a job and somebody telling me, you know, before they know about me, I, I, I'm i a good judge of character. And when people talk to me, I get a good feeling of what they're going to do, what they're not going to do, as far as what I believe. And, you know, for somebody to judge anyone from their past, it's just, it's not right to me because, you know, what about all the people that do want to change? Right. You know, what about all the people that would never go back to doing what they've done? And then you got society knocking them down, even though that's just life, period. So what do you feel about the people that are that are in there still to this day that you're leaving behind? We'll say, because we'll say, say to say that you're not going like back. Incarcerated? Yeah. So as far as the stigma that these people are hardened criminals, first-time mm -hmm. offenders, whatever the case, white-collar, blue-collar, whatever mm -hmm. the case may be, the stigma attached to them, are they all... Under the same umbrella? Are they all the same because they're criminals? That's how we're just going to perceive them? Well, in my, not in my eyes, I don't believe that anyone's just no two people in the world are the same. No, but I mean, like, they're all in the same jumpsuit. Or they're all in the same, they're all in the same I mean, if community. You're, well, if you're looking at it from, you know, you got people that are going to do 25 to life that are going to get out in 25 years. You got people that have got life that ain't never getting out. Mm -hmm. And you got people that are going to get out tomorrow. But, well, I, I, actually, Grant, let me ask you this, because you kind of jumped back on this one. And you were... As far as most recently being out, would you say from the time you went in to when you got out, did you see a difference not only in your, I mean, obviously in yourself, but your surroundings, the people that you met there? Like, what were they like? Have they changed? Have they evolved? Have they digressed or gone back? Well, the crazy thing about prison is I've been to different different classes of prison, man. I've been to the United States penitentiaries. I've been to the medium securities and you know it's like in the federal penitentiary it's it's like a time stop because everybody walks and everybody like you said everybody wants to be hard everything's and in the feds is different man the feds mm. is a different world because you got people from all over the united states everything's about racism everything's yeah. everybody and for the mental health discussion Every single person, if there's 210 guys on a unit, 185 of them get some type of psych meds. Wow, yeah. So it's yeah. like, users yeah, saying that we're all in here because we have a mental disorder, disorder yeah. Yeah. but then you just want to medicate us, and if we take the medication, we're going to be okay. But we do weren't you, never you, on medication before, and we were okay. We just did something stupid. Now, do you so, think there's something 
I don't think 180 people need it, but I think 80 okay. out of the 200 really need some type of mental health. So why do you think that the numbers is... Why Do you think there's an agenda there? Do you think there's a reason that they give? I do. I, I, mean, I mean, of course. I'm sure. I'm assuming they have some type of contract with the, hmm. with the drug companies or something. I okay. mean, it is the government. So, And it's easier to say people with mental health issues have a disorder and this is why they're doing the things that they do and we send them here to help them not mm-hmm. to change them but when you get there there is no help yeah. it's just you can take a pill and if you don't we'll lock you up again and, and inside lockup we'll lock you up if you don't do it so mm-hmm. drug them up and calm them down is the solution for everything where we were talking about before everybody's real hard and then when you come out here you don't want to be hardcore gang banging like I said on the bus. I mm-hmm. felt like killing them guys, but I know mentally that <laughs> what that'll it's lead to. not it's not my business to in, interject with all the stuff that's going on. It's all about me now. Before it was about worrying about everything else that's going on or not missing anything and being a part of everything. Now mm-hmm. I only care about the road the path I'm taking. Right. And trying to change and trying to do the right thing. Before I wanted this, that, and the third. Now I just, I just want a regular nine to five job. Yeah. And I don't want. I, I'm not gonna be forty something years old living at my mom's house in the same neighborhood, struggling to survive, doing this and doing that. Mm-hmm. To where I might be in a halfway house and they're supposed to be helping me, but are they really? Because they're telling me to get into a homeless shelter in New Jersey and work from there. Mm-hmm. So it's like. I try to figure out for myself what am I going to do and how am I going to do it. And being tough and being racist and being whatever you, they we were doing in prison ain't the way to go. Because none of that works in society, especially with all the, <laughs> the politically correct. Yeah. Well, no, I, I laugh at that because that's kind of what the landscape is on the outside. Like, as far as how racism is, racism is so magnified with... You'll you'll right. learn this in social media, and you know people pick their spots, and not just with the racist aspect, but their political affiliation and who they you know vote for or how they choose to see society. Um, so a lot of what's in there is also is what's out here too, and we can talk about that more after I turn right. the after I turn the podcast off. Um, but it's more or less that feeling of trying to find your identity in there. Like, do I do I link with these people? You know, and and play it safe. Well, see, that's the problem with federal prison. Mm -hmm. There is no, you're going to do what the rules are in the prison or, I'm going to give you a perfect example right here. Mm -hmm. I'm a white kid from the hood of Philadelphia. Yeah. There wasn't really no racism growing up where we're from. No. Everybody was, if you were from the neighborhood, you were from the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We didn't care what color or what you are. Mm -hmm. One of our closest friends in the world growing up was a black kid mm-hmm. Kwaku what's up <laughs> but you know what I'm saying and then I get to this place I coming from a Philadelphia jail I was the only white dude on the block for a whole year before I go to the feds right and now I get to the feds and it's white power this you're gonna be oh. hanging with the white guys or we're gonna just stab you and then wow. you got the black guys from Philly saying Nah, bro, you got to go hang with them because they're going to stab you if you try to hang with us or sit with us or do anything like that. There is no in-between. There is no, you don't, you have to be with somebody. Right. 
or your there's no neutral yeah. area. There but but no... did you have a choice in that? As far as I mean, obviously you're not racist. You're not no, like I'm power not, no, clansman no, no. type stuff like that. But what I'm saying is, in terms of yes, we see what you were on the outside, right? But. You were, you, were you able to say, you know what? I see these guys with the swastikas. That's not me. I'm going to go with them. Like, do you have there, that choice, or do they you make that choice that for you? Choice, but you really don't because because hmm. you can go sit at you can hmm. go sit with the Philly guys, which are 98 percent black Muslim guys, and they'll accept you and do whatever. But then the white guys won't. Now I don't have to join a gang and be racist to be a part of their thing but you can never be neutral you can't be neutral you have mm-hmm. to sit at the white tables and live with the white people and stand out in the yard with the white guys because right. everything's on edge right. at all times now that's just in the penitentiaries though because once you get to a medium custody mm-hmm. then you can just be i'm independent now in the penitentiaries they're supposed to be independent too but that's just another white gang itself mm. so being through all that, coming from where, where we're from, it's like, man, that's a dramatic shock, like culture change. I'm right. not changing what I've learned for the last 25 years. Not just what you learned, but who you are. And who I am yeah. to Fit in. conform to you people. Like, mm-hmm. this is not what's going to happen because I don't plan on being here the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I plan on getting out in 10 years and going back to who I was and being around the people that I'm going to be around. You know what I'm saying? So I'll follow the protocol, but I'm not going to become used. I'm not going to get racist tattoos and join gangs and all that because that's not what I'm about. Right. I'm about all I care about is positive future. Mm. You guys, I've seen people killed. I've seen people stabbed dead. I've seen a guy get his head chopped off with a shoelace. I've seen the craziest stuff in the world. Mm. And only white people do it to white people. Black dude. Do it black people, Spanish do it to Spanish. Mm-hmm. There was no so racism was completely pointless. It was kind of more proximity crime than it yeah, was. Yeah, it was all there was a maybe they were segregated. Right. It's yeah. all one hundred percent segregated. There's never a black on white fight. But wow. then everybody's racist. It makes no sense. So why do you think that is? Because they don't want to start a race war. Mm-hmm. So So nobody wants to be first. Nobody wants to be first. So if a guy owes this guy money, if the if, if there's a white guy getting drugs off the Spanish guy and he don't pay the Spanish guy, the Spanish guys go to the white guys and say if he don't pay us his money, we're going to do something about it. So the white guys go stab him. So there's no uh, conflict. So they kind of so eliminate their own. It eliminates their own and keeps it like that. It's so kind of like a code. Okay. Yeah, so there's no stuff. So then you take you take us from that, and then you just throw us right out in the middle of the street and say, all right, you're free to go. Mm. So now what am I supposed to do? I just I was just at a place where it was like that. Yeah. So now I'm coming from there to here and... You want me to adjust to what I'm used to, and then you put me an hour away from home because it's easier for you to put me there instead of there because it's full. Right. So there's so much miscommunication inside of <laughs> government facilities right, and actions. Okay. No, there's no standard. There's no repetitions. There's no, there's no straight path into the system. It's just... Everybody spins you off to the next person and tells you to do this and do that. Because nobody no, wants to really take accountability there or There is action. no accountability. Okay. One doctor tells me I got bipolar. The other doctor tells me I'm OCD, HDHD, and then the other one says there's nothing wrong with you. Well, that's so, probably because one wants to medicate you as one way and one wants to medicate right. you another way. They each yeah. want their friend's drugs to be part of their thing. Yeah. Not literally, but it's just 
that, what, that, it's, it's a, just within a, the system. It's within the system. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So play, play politician here. Okay. Without naming names as far as politician, but play politician, and they come to you and say, okay. You guys being in the system and doing what you've done for as many years, you have the experience in the system. What would you do to change it for the better? How could we help these people inside? Knowing that, yeah, they're, they're criminals and they've done what they've done. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, make life rosy and everything dandy. How would we make this system to where there is structure? And they go from being incarcerated to rehabilitation, to adjusting to life on the outside, to not having to come back, recidivism. See, what, what, what would you say? The only possible way that there's a chance for people like us is you got to let our actions speak loud in our, our papers. Because hmm. just because I'm a criminal or just because I've made mistakes, it's been 12 years since I made a mistake. Mm -hmm. And I was a kid. Yeah. So... I'm 38 years old. I don't want to go to prison. I just want a job. I've always just wanted a job before. Mm -hmm. Even when I was out last time, before I got out of jail this first time, mm -hmm. all I was trying to do was get a job. Not being able to have a job puts me in a position to where, well, I got to take care of myself. Right. I'm not going to live in my mom's house. I'm not going to eat my mom's food. I'm not going to fend off somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm a grown-ass man. I'm going to fend for myself. If you ain't going to help me, then I got to do whatever I got to do to survive. Mm -hmm. Everything costs money. It costs me $50 a day to come to and from Philadelphia right now from the halfway house. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be paying for my transportation to get a job, mm -hmm. but it comes out of my own pocket. Is I don't like, have any money. Is it like payment like a per diem? Like a, what is it, it? It's like they have petty cash petty for cash. transit okay. and this and that yeah. for... People that really need it. So because I'm saying because they put you an hour and a half away, they're right. it's, they to put pay that. me in Bridgeton, New Jersey. Yeah, and I'm from Northeast Philadelphia. Right. It's literally sixty miles from here. Yeah. It's not my fault that that halfway house was full. Right. Now I could have stayed in prison, or I could have came to the halfway house. Right. Of course, I went to the halfway house because I need to adjust to society mm -hmm. because where I came from was a cesspool of testosterone anger and hate right so now you're putting me into a place where none of that can be done in society anymore right you can't say anything or do anything without there being some type of racist backlash or this and that mm -hmm. so now i want to i just want to get a job and work but i can't because or i can I don't want to say I can't because I, of course I can, but now I got to commute three hours every morning, every night Up and to back, get yeah. to work. So I got a, literally a five hour, four and a half hour transit to just get a job. Yeah, to and from. So yeah. God forbid that if I want to work overtime, I can't even do it because the place won't let me. Yeah. So how can I adjust the society and change if you don't help? And that's what I'm asking you. What what, what steps would you put into play? So, so, now, so, so, I mean, because you know, you guys know from start to finish the process because you've been through it. Where would you make the changes? What would you fix? It all has to start with, with I mean, I, you can't say the system. It has to start with each step in the, in the system. It has to start with first my counselor, then the counselor supervisor, which mm -hmm. is called, there's counselors, then case managers, and then unit managers. Mm -hmm. It has to start from each steps. 
because this one just spins you off and says, well, my boss says I can't do that. So somebody has to take the initiative to start a program, a legit program that helps people succeed because my only option is to go back to doing what I'm going to do because if you keep trying and trying and trying to succeed and do the right thing and the door keeps getting shut in your face and this and that, the environments that we're used to only allows it to go so far. So, you know, Donald Trump right now, he's trying to do criminal reform and he's doing this and doing that, but it's only for people that don't need it. Right, white collar. It's for a guy that stole somebody's check for the first time or a nun that's stealing money from a church for the first time. Right. That's the only people it helps. Right. It's not helping. I just was in jail 10 years. I didn't get none of the good time that I was supposed to get Mm -hmm. because they were robbing us for it. Donald Trump says fix it, but now I'm out of jail and by the time they fix it, I'm not going to get none of it. So I wasted all that time in prison for nothing. Yeah. So and that's not an endorsement, by the way. It's just he's giving an example. <laughs> yeah, I'm just giving examples. But so, it's just my point that it's all just a merry-go-round. Yeah. Nobody, everything. There's no steps up or down. And it's that's just what, a merry-go-round. And that's what we were saying earlier about as far as the system being broken in terms of the not just the criminal justice reform, but also the the, the process within the criminal justice. Like you were saying, as far as there's a, a complex or a, an industry with the pharmaceuticals that maybe they're getting a kickback on something. Uh, maybe somewhere government-wise is getting a kickback or some company is getting a kickback on how many prisoners they get into a prison. Like as far as the number of people they have in there. Oh, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. the halfway house is getting, they get a grant from the government to hold the federal inmates. Mm-hmm. So if they got Let's just be fair, even though they got more. Let's just say they only, they got a million dollars to hold a certain amount of people. Right. So they put these amounts of beds in there. Then they take all these beds, they put us in there, and then as soon as you get there, they want to force you out on a house arrest or force you out or let you just go so that they can put somebody else in there to get more money from the government. And just keep their Instead of helping me mm-hmm. do what I got to do. I need to get a license. I need to get a birth certificate. I need to get a social security card. I need to get an ID. Nobody knows how to help me. Mm. All they can say is, oh, just do it online. I went to jail before there was online. I don't know how to do it online. I don't know what to do. Then you go down here to get this and do that. This is the building I'm supposed to go to. Then they send you to another building. Then they send you to another building. Yeah. I know my name. I know my social security number. I know this, that, and the third. Why can't you just... Open a place that helps people getting out of prison to get their stuff. And there are places. And that's the thing, too, is that, and, you know, again, we'll talk about that after we <laughs> press stop. But, uh, I mean, there are places in terms of resources. <clears throat> but, yeah, you're right. Within the system or within the structure, it's... Yeah, I mean part on. of the system. Right. Not outside. Not the people that are working for out here. Mm-hmm. In the system, if I'm in a halfway house, why doesn't a halfway house that's controlled by <laughs> Donald Trump's people... Why is not? Why are them government people not there to help me? Why you, is it that way? You know? I mean, are you asking why in that? Like, do you have the answer, or do you think it's more that they treat you more like a number than a person? Oh, I, they, you absolutely. are just a number. Yeah, you're, you're not a person. Yeah. Face to face, you're a person, but in reality, it's just on the they don't one. say what's your name. It's what's your number. Right. What bed are you in, or what's your register number? Right. So they go off my number, and then they look it up, and they say. 
this, that, and the third. Oh, well, he's had this, this, and that. Okay, okay, go to this person. Mm-hmm. Then you go to this person. They say, well, why'd you come to me when she should have did it? So communication is all that needs to be done. Right. If you can communicate with people that treat you like a person or a man or a woman or whatever, don't look at the exterior or the paperwork part of it mm-hmm. and look at the way I'm explaining that I want or need to be done. Mm-hmm. And give me the chance. And even the passion in your voice to do it, yeah. Let me show you with my actions that I'm changing. Don't let me tell you. I can tell you anything you want to. I can can tell you any story you want to hear. Mm -hmm. Let me show you with my actions that I really want to do this. Right. I went to traffic court Friday. I've been in jail for literally 11 years, 10 years and some change. And the judge said, oh, we're going to lock you up. For not paying your tickets. <laughs> I've been in jail for 10 years. She said, oh, I didn't know that. How do you not? You're the judge. How do you not know by looking at my name and my number on your computer right now mm-hmm. that I was in prison for 10 years? And then tell me, if I don't come up with 20 hours right now, I'm going to jail. Yeah. Well, it's not so much on the judge. It's the clerks that work right. for the it's judges. Just, yeah. But that's my point. Yeah. See, the judge only knows what the people that work for them put in front of them. Right. Which know what these people put in front of them. So... There's no type of communication. Yeah. So, and then with this right now, she could have looked me up on her phone, the judge, and said, hold on. Oh, yeah, you're good. I'm going to put you in for this and see what we can do. Right. Instead, they just push you off and give you a court date and then tell me I can't have a license. I never even had a license. So why can't I have one? Yeah. I, I'm, I can't start a job without a license. Mm-hmm. Every single place in the world expects you to have a license yeah. now. So... Until you can get around the minor things and the things that are what normal people are supposed to have, IDs and license and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If nobody helps you to get that, then you can't you can't make it from there. Yeah. So and it's interesting too because that's like like things we learned as kids and it's things I, I I tell my kids do the things you have to do so you can do the things you want to do. And you getting out the things you have to do, getting a license, getting the things in order that you need. You know, that the you have to do... The most important thing. To, to do the things you want to do. Right. Get a job and all like that. Like, it's... it's Not being conscious of it when you're a kid and doing the dumb things that we were doing. Mm-hmm. Man, I don't even know that. that. I don't want these people to know who I am or I don't need this. That's just stupid young kid talk. Right. But when it's... When you're growing up and you realize, man, these are all the things I should have did when I was 18 years old. Right. Get a this and that. If you don't already have it, you should automatically... That should be your first priority is to get all your paperwork. If I don't open a bank account, I can't get paid. Mm-hmm. There's no... He's like, what's a check? That's what the guy <laughs> told me. He said, what's a check? <laughs> he wants to pay me through my bank account. Mm-hmm. So now I got to figure out how to open up a bank account. Because as a drug dealer, my bank account was in my mattress. <laughs> That's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> so how do I go about all this except just going to do it? Mm-hmm. And that's the only way things ever get done is if... You need to just man up and do it yourself. Go ask questions. If you don't go and ask questions, nothing's going to get done because there's nobody there to help. And just doing that alone, like, I mean, I see people, adults, who are, not that they won't ask questions, they're afraid to ask questions because whether it's a pride issue or an embarrassment, whatever, they just, they feel funny because they don't know how the question is going to be perceived. Right. Like, And that's not true. There's no dumb question except the question unasked. Right. And but, but but I'm saying in terms of their anxiety or that feeling of I can't ask this because But that's that's how I was. Right. So I And that's what I'm saying as far as so kids, we learn those traits as right. kids, then when we become adults, now you actually had to go to prison to not just humble yourself, but also 
to understand get over that. that anxiety. Yeah, or get, to get wow. over that feeling of, you know, because in prison, without asking questions, nothing gets done. Right. So Close for me, I'm fit. quiet and standoffish unless somebody's, you know, right there at me. So mm. I like just being in the background, being alone, being quiet. It's easier for me because I'm not that good at communication. So to learn how to just walk into a complete stranger and say, hey, excuse me, I need your help. Mm-hmm. Their job is to help you. So I had to, I learned to get over the fact that I'm not the dumb one for asking the questions, but I'm just the person that don't know. Mm-hmm. And they will, you got a better chance of just going to a random person that works there and asking for help than trying to do it any other way because they're there to help you. And once you realize that, you can get some type of help. So same with the social media stuff. I asked somebody young to help me so I can try to connect with the world they show me, and it's really not that hard at all. Yeah. So once you get over that anxiety, once or that, you that get fear. over the fact that oh, I don't know how to do it, and you want to throw the phone at the wall, mm-hmm. it's it's really not that hard. Just be patient, let somebody show you, mm-hmm. and it's really just that simple. Yeah, but it's twofold in that one, letting someone show you, but two, also allowing yourself to have learn it. Show it. Yeah, learn and, it. Yeah, and, and, and humble yourself to say I don't know everything. You know, See, I'm, I'm willing. Thing. I'm willing to stop. Everybody in prison knows everything. Everybody in prison <laughs> can't be can't be wrong or they can't be told anything. So mm-hmm. once you get over the fact, like I used to want to be a leader. I'm a leader. I'm the boss. I'm this and that. But I've realized I'm not a leader. I'm a goddamn follower. And it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. It's easy for me now at my age. I'm never going to be the number one. I'm over that. I don't. I don't even care about it anymore. I understand that I'm going to work for somebody. I mean, mm-hmm. an inju- I don't mind having a boss. Mm-hmm. I'd rather you be the boss. Just okay. pay me to go do it. So I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Tell me what to do, and I'm going to go do it. Okay. I'm not just going to come show up somewhere, and I'm going to figure it all out doing it myself. I'm past the point of that. Maybe I can learn it, but it, right now, in baby steps, I, I'm at that point in my life where I need to be told what to do. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not going to do anything. Same with with everything in the aspects of life. If With working out, I need the guy to tell me what we're going to do today or I'm right. not going to do it. So you it. need the direction. I need and somebody the, to direct me where I'm going. You got to do what you're Because if not, I'm always going to turn the wrong way. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, but it's just embedded into me from all the stuff that I've done. It's Based easier and from, it's, yeah. it's, it's just as simple. The same with in prison. When you're in there and you're, you're you're bored with nothing to do and you're just sitting around and the only babysitter that they give you is a television, there's nothing but trouble and drugs to do. Mm. So you got to find your own zen or you're going to either do drugs or you're going to get in trouble. What was your zen? My zen was getting in trouble. Mm. <laughs> but I mean like so, I mean like as far as like the balance. So as far, aside from getting in trouble, what was your your um the balance calm. was taking Taking the programs that they do offer. Okay, so, so you, you I did, work. Take advantage of them. Was there education involved as far as like you know people, guys? Low tech classes, okay. and I took a culinary arts class. I oh. took a carpentry class, and I took stuff like that. But I worked mm-hmm. in every job I went to. I would find a job, and I'd be the first one there and the last one to leave mm-hmm. because working in, in a work environment, which I'm used to being around, it's it's more natural for me because it keeps you busy. Yeah. There's always something going on. And if you put your mindset to always be the one trying to do it, and you're always busy before you know it, 
10 hours went by. Yeah. So that's that's why for me, all I need is all I need is a chance. Mm-hmm. Just put me in a position to, to do something, and I'm going to do it. Nice. You don't have to keep telling me to do this. If I see something on the floor, I'm going to pick it up. I'm, I want to do it because I want to be busy. Yeah, you have the initiative. You just need that and guidance. Until there's, until there's a real look at the criminal reform thing, like you're saying, to where people really, they're not just a bunch of rich guys in a soups in Washington talking about it. Right. And there's somebody there saying let's help these people right then and they can sit around and watch and and they should have a camera following me resting for, for the next 10 years to see what it's really like because there's there's no like I I don't know how to explain it. there's no there's no steps it's just it's just f- Free for all, yeah, you know and, I mean? and they're, they're they're kind of out of touch too. Like the guys in the suits up well, there. Well, yeah, I'm just really using an example. Yeah, they talk about it, and it's just all the steps. But they even like the political with... people that are local as well, they don't yeah. see what's in the prison. They, they just see, they just you know, hear word of mouth from someone else. Is from this person, this person, this person, this. But there's 50 people before the 51st person tells the 60th person what's really going on. Right? So how could anybody and it just gets know? Past you know the buck I mean? and past the buck. Yeah, it's all past yeah. the buck. And as long as there's not people dying. Mm-hmm. They can say everything's going good. And okay. it's just not the way it really is. So the big question then, and this is where we'll take it home with. The probably the biggest question that's on everybody's mind that's listening here. How would I fare in prison? How would you what? <laughs> <laughs> how would you what? We've talked about this, but how would I fare in prison? But like how would you maintain? If I was if I was something happened in life and I just took a wrong turn and I ended up in prison, how would I But see that's a stigma that it's not true that. about <laughs> Right. I'm joking though because that's, like like you were saying as far as their segregation we're on the type of like I want everybody to be together mm-hmm. and you know unity right, but, and stuff like that but but see it's not prison is not what people make it out to be no, Prison's yeah, only, <laughs> prison is as hard as you make it mm-hmm. if if you're just a regular stand up guy that you know somebody like you you would you would you would be living with a Spanish person or something probably <laughs> and that's it but you, you could do. Work in the education you would do whatever you, you want, that, and you know what I mean. You know, you're smart, you're athletic, so people would be like, "Oh, that's just Marco. He's oh, he's going to go play ball, and he's always in the library." Right. Something to that effect. Instead of, <laughs> "Oh, that's Marco. This he, was me 20 years ago. Guys. He's ready to be on the front line." You know what I mean? Right. It's everybody. Listen, and there's only two people that have it hard in prison, mm. and that's rats and job molesters. There is no. Child molesters get more attention and more help and more anything than anybody else. Really? For his therapy and attention? For his therapy, attention. Right now in the halfway house I'm at, there's a child molester in there. Not literally hurt a child physically, but child porn on his computer. Okay. And he did 10 years, but they cater to every freaking need he has. Wow. They give him money to get on the bus. They drive him where he needs to go. They do this and they do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get caught with any drugs. I didn't get caught with nothing. I didn't do anything. Right. I got 10 years because I knew people. Hmm. And now, being associated with other people, I'm a bad person. Hmm. That don't make me a bad person. It just makes me guilty by association. Right. Which is fine. I'm not saying I didn't do what they said I did, and I did. But help me. Yeah. Don't make me... Don't make me go out and rob a bank to have to take the bus to work every day. It's hmm. not fair... 
to me if you're doing Never it Never deny anybody who's asking for help. That's the main thing that it comes to, I think. Help no the people that what, really want to be helped. Right. right. No matter what anyone ever does, no matter what anyone ever did, no matter how long anyone ever been away, what they did, this and that and that, it's always going to come to a time, like right now, like what he just said, there's always going to come a time when all that stuff in the past is over. And now you're looking at the future and you just want help. Yeah. You know what I mean? So to deny somebody help for any type of reason would be to deny them for every reason. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if I'm denying you because I'm saying, listen, what do you need my help for? You already know what you're doing. You're smart. Do it yourself. Mm -hmm. Would be to deny this person because I can say, well, I'm not helping you. You're a faggot. You know what I mean? What am I? Get away from me! I'm not helping you. You're gay. Yeah. Get away. You know, to deny anybody for one reason would be to deny them for every single reason. You know what I mean? That's how yeah. I look at it. You just don't deny people that ask for help. That's all. That's how I look at it. For the record, we don't have nothing against gay people. <laughs> Remember, just big t times have changed. You yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, to, so to take it home, and yeah, my last question was, you know, kind of joking around. But um, to take it home, your advice to anyone listening. That may have someone may have a troubled youth, troubled individual that they know themselves, or even you know even themselves going mm -hmm. through the tough, the tough time. What advice would you give them in terms of where you've been, and then on top of that, where you're going? Well, I got, I got, I got. You no, know, regardless of all that, I can break that down into one small little thing, man. The very first, most important thing ever for anyone who needs to listen. Listen. Listen to this person, man, and, and listen to them because, you know, if somebody's troubled, somebody's hurting, somebody's whatever, they're going to talk about it. They want help. Mm -hmm. So listen to them and help them. Listen to what they're proud be. This world will be so much better if, you know, how we're sitting here talking about all this stuff right now. But honestly, do we apply every single thing every day? No, we don't. You know what I mean? Even though we can. You know, but we don't. Not every day. And nobody always does. But as far as someone who's crying for help and somebody who, who what your, your question was just now, my answer is to that is just listen, man. Listen to people because they'll tell you if mm -hmm. they really, you know, care. You know what I mean? Have a heart and care for people because well, it can how does that you. work? How does it work family wise? Like, whereas you see the person, maybe again, a troubled youth or a troubled individual mm -hmm. who keeps messing up or keeps mm. making mistakes and mm. you do listen or you right. do lend an ear or you right. do try to provide help whatever whether it's money or mm. whatever and they just keep making those mistakes just don't give up yeah you just but when do when, but when do you put the onus on the person on the individual when do you put that responsibility on them and say um well you know there's limits you know there's limits to everything but for everyone that's doing that man nobody does things like that just because they want to be bad Mm -hmm. Nobody just wants to be bad. Nobody just wants to do this. No, everybody wants help. Yeah. You know, that's the way I'm looking at it. If somebody's doing something like you just said, somebody's, you know, uh, uh, how did you say it again? When they just keep, you know, they just keep making the same right. mistakes. They keep same making mistakes, mistakes or some kind of mistakes. Right. Well, as far as people making mistakes, there's always, you know, every single mistake has a fixing. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing. If, there, if there's, there can't be a mistake without something to fix it. Right. Or it won't be a mistake. It has to be a fix to that mistake, so help them fix it. If you see somebody's making mistakes and doing this, that, help them fix it. But are they helping themselves to fix it? Well, that's what you gotta do. You gotta listen. You know, if I <laughs> if you're doing something, if I see you doing something and I see you need some help, I'm gonna listen to you. And me listening to you by what you say to me and how you say it will give me the knowledge of knowing whether you want help or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? How somebody comes off, 
how somebody speaks, how somebody talks and somebody acts shows you whether or not they want help or not, right. I think. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, don't, I don't think nobody's a bad person, man. I think everybody just does things because they want help. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you, you think, like, you got murderers out here killing people because not all of them are bad people. Right. A lot of these people have been hurt. You know what I'm saying? A lot of these people have been tortured. And that's the part I look at, too, when even working in mental health. Like, I always ask, you know, people like, how could, why would they do that? And and why, you know, how could they, you know, do that to their family and like that? And my question is, what led them to that? Right. Look at Hitler. Well, Look at Hitler. He was a maniac. Mm -hmm. But if you go back and (laughs) listen, if you look at all the things Hitler did, he killed all them people. and Did he really, though? Yeah, well, that's yeah. just, I'm going off of what the yeah. book says. That's I don't an know American what he book, did. Though. That's right. what I don't German know what I don't know what really happened. All I know is what they taught me. See, this but is if fun. You look this at Hitler. <laughs> if you look at Hitler and what he did, he was such a scumbag. He killed all them people. He did all this, this, and that. But then, if you read his history, he was abused sexually by his family. He was tortured. He was this and that. Mm-hmm. So he's messed up. Yeah, and, and it's not validating what happened. No, yeah. not at all. It's, I'm not it's, trying it's to validate less, anything. Yeah. But what but, I'm saying is, yeah, hell no one. A, that was a hell of a person to bring in. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, but that was a good <laughs> example. <laughs> Dumbest example. I don't believe. I don't believe that anybody <laughs> is naturally born bad. Oh no, that's not true. I don't mm. believe anyone's born bad. Ted Bundy was born bad. Nah, he was. He was messed up too. He got. He got. Assaulted and whacked out and everything. He was like a college professor that raped and killed little girls. Yeah, well, he's sick. I mean, he was a psych. Yeah, he's but here's sick. the here's the here's what you got to do. If somebody's going down the wrong path, you got to give it to them straight. Yeah. There's only two options that's going to happen. You're gonna die. You're either gonna die or, or go to prison. Yeah. Are you ready for prison? Right. Are you ready to gangbang? Are you ready to kill somebody because somebody else tells you to? Right. Are you ready to? fight or are you ready to sit in your bathroom for the rest of your life right that's there is nothing are you mentally ready for that are you physically right. ready for that right it's just be real with people that's it's all. you, you know. gotta try to weigh the odds if something's right. if somebody's going down the wrong path if depending on their age you ain't gonna be able to tell them anything anyway so right. how many times have you, somebody told me to knock it off you know what i'm saying yeah and i and i literally inside of my heart and soul always wanted to to stop or to do something else and being in the situations that I was in every single time was because of who and where I was at at the time yeah it was never on my own did I ever say come on I'm gonna go do this and I was by myself it was yo you coming yeah let's go Mm. only to appease or to just follow along with everybody else yeah so the only way to help somebody is to literally explain to them so they can weigh the pros and cons because people are going to do whatever they want to do even if you tell them and listen to them a thousand times. So you can explain to them the only options you got, you know, and tell them the truth. Listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do or how to do it because you're going to do what you want to do, but the only path you're headed down is prison. And if you want to know what prison's like, so you think that this is the right option for you, you better talk to somebody that's been there. Because yeah, right. everybody in prison doesn't want to be there. Everybody that's acting like they're hardcore killers in the prison, all they're trying to do is get to a lesser prison. So, and that's that's the best thing for help. It's the only thing I can see in helping somebody is to is to show not show them like take them to the prison but 
show them the pros and cons because that's the only way. But I I would say about that what he said though was a good word and I think is the word that's the answer for this whole entire thing is uh and somebody in, in in need of that I would just try I would say try to try to help 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 them see their options. I think options is a big word for them because if someone's doing something wrong, you know, they obviously feel like they don't got options. So if you can, if somebody's going to do something and you know what the, you personally know what the end result can be. And like you said, it's only a couple things. Mm -hmm. You're either going to go to jail or you're going to die. You know what I mean? You know, try to show them, try to show them their options and explain it to them. Like, you know, let, let them feel like, you know, show them that you care. Yeah. You know what I mean? Caring about somebody can, you know, if if a lot of out of a hundred percent in this world that does crime and does wrong and does this and does that, I'm gonna say eighty of them do a lot of things because they feel no one cares. Mm. That's what I'm gonna feel. That's what I say. You yeah. know what I mean? That's just my opinion. But I feel like, you know, as far as all the criminal activity that goes on, man, and all the wrong that gets done, I think, you know, just caring and and options. Options and caring, man, I think would fix a lot of it. And that's kind of why I gave this option here, as far as you guys now have a platform. You have a voice to, you know, put it out there and explain to people, you know, that have family members or friends that are going through something similar or have been down this road before. And like I said, I wanted to jump at the opportunity to do this because I feel like showing that you care, providing them the option, providing them the voice Mm -hmm. to say, listen, this could be you, right? You know, and this was us. And this know. will be you if this don't happen, right? Right. right. So, I, you know, I have to thank both you guys for doing thank this. You, man. Thanks for picking us. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, pre- I appreciate you know you guys both being honest and you know a little candid as well. There was you know little moments right. of uh, you know disagreement, but that's fine. That's alright. We all love each other here. Yeah. So again, I appreciate you guys coming on, and we'll catch you next time on Behind the Mask with Marco. Behind the Mask with Marco. Tune in. Thanks for listening to Behind the Mask with Marco. Feel free to leave comments and feedback, and also subscribe for future content.